Thank you guys. Thank you guys so much for all that. I appreciate you guys. Um, one of these nights, we're gonna end up not. I'm gonna end up not preaching, and we're just gonna do music and worship the whole time. So three people are excited about that. Three three people are excited about heaven. So that's nice. So you know, like if you can't worship for 45 minutes on earth, heaven, you're gonna hate heaven because that's basically all it is. Anyways, how you guys doing tonight? Six, seven people are excited about tonight. Happy birthday, Izzy. Hey, birthday tomorrow, Jesse. How old are you going to be? 24? Stud? 21? Man, what a stud. Gosh, that beard. So jealous. Anyways, this is getting weird. Uh, hey, my name is Adam Lynch. I'm the young adult pastor, director, whatever here at Connection Point. If we haven't met, make sure uh, I meet you later because I'd love to meet you. And uh, we're in a series called Monday through Saturday. And this is our second to last week of this series. And uh, have you guys enjoyed the series at all? Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, that's awesome, man. You guys are excited. Do you guys have a rough week? Anybody have a rough week? Raise your hand if you had a rough week. I had a rough week. I had a really rough week. And I really hope that you guys are blessed by tonight because God has been, oh, it's starting early. Uh, God has been working on me all week. I had a really rough week, but he's been working on me all week. And I hope uh, tonight will bless you as much as it's blessed me. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your uh, tablet or whatever you use to write your notes, take out your notes, take out your Bible, because uh, we're going to move fairly quickly tonight. And I'll be honest with you, I have some notes, but I don't have it like really orchestrated. So I'm going to kind of just... Just fly and see what happens. So, uh, so we're in the series Monday through Saturday, and we've been talking about basically this idea that a lot of us struggle with only living out our faith on Sunday, and we really miss out the rest of the days of the week, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the other days. We really only uh, live out our faith on Sunday. And so every week we've been trying to help you, trying to teach you how to live your faith Monday through Saturday and of course Sunday. And so tonight uh, I'm going to be talking about I'm going to be talking about identity. I'm going to be talking about how to find your identity in something more than just on Sunday. Because it's really easy for us, we go to church on Sunday, and we're like, oh yes, I know who I am, I know who I've been created to be. And then Monday comes, and we look in the mirror, and we're like, who the heck is that person? And we see things that we don't want to see. And so I want to teach you tonight, I want to talk through uh, how to find your identity, what to find your identity in, Monday through Saturday, and not just Sunday. Because 80% of life's most uh, 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 defining moments take place before the age of 35. 80% of life's most defining moments take place before 35. Raise your hand if you're younger than 35. Yes, I can. Hey, yeah, good job. <laughs> Me too, for once. Hey, Jess, yeah, that's awesome. And see, and so I want to help you make decisions uh, a lot of us are making decisions in light of who we are, right? Like if 80% of life's decisions are made before 35, but you don't know who you are, you don't know who you're created to be, a lot of those decisions are not going to be great. So I want to help you, I, we want to help you make decisions, good decisions, great decisions, in light of who you are. You see, we were never created to find our identity in who we are. We're created to find our identity in who he is. Yeah. 
We're created to find our identity in who he is. And so tonight, what I want to do is I want to talk about who Jesus is. I want to talk about who he's not, who Jesus is, and who he uh, says you are. That's basically the premise of tonight. So first, I want to start with, we're going to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about who Jesus is not. Who Jesus is not. First, Jesus is not just your buddy. He's not just your buddy. You see, a lot of times, at least in American culture, we have this watered-down reverence for Christ. A lot of us just, like, throw, throw him in the corner and say, Jesus, go sit in the corner, and I'll come back and get you when I need you, right? Like, he's just my buddy. And he is your friend, and the Bible says he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, but we have this lack of reverence for him. So he's not just your buddy. Jesus is not just your spiritual ATM. Jesus is not just your spiritual ATM where it's like, I need, I need a withdrawal. I'm going to go to you. Hey, beep, bop, beep, boop. Here comes my spiritual monies, whatever that is for you. Okay, thank you. I feel good. Now, Monday through Saturday, I'm just going to do what I want to do. Jesus is not just your spiritual ATM. He's not weak. He's not weak and he's not a pushover. You know, like in all these uh, dumb Jesus movies, <laughs> don't go me on that, don't put that on Twitter. Don't put that on Twitter. Adam Lynch said these dumb Jesus movies. Uh, in all these movies that were created not very well, like they just, like they show Jesus as this like blonde European guy with blue eyes who's like glowing and he's like an orb, just like, oh, and he's just like this like really tame and mild Jesus. And that's not who the Bible says Jesus is is, okay? Like, Jesus is a dude that fashioned a whip and whipped the Pharisees out of the temple. Like, he's like, get the heck out of my dad's house. You have made my dad's house into a den of robbers. So he fashions a whip. I mean, that's like, that's tough Jesus. You know what I mean? That's like, (laughs) what's that movie where all the guys get together, the war movie, like Sylvester Stallone's in it? Expendables. That's like Expendables like for Jesus. You know what I mean? I don't know. I thought that was funny. Anyways, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is not just a, a, a good prophet. Jesus is not just a good prophet. You see, like all these other religions are like, oh, Jesus was, uh, he's just a good prophet or he's just a good man. Well, C.S. Lewis has this argument. It's really amazing. C.S. Lewis is a writer. And he has this argument that Jesus is one of three things. He's a liar, he's a lunatic, or he is who he says he is. He's Lord. So he would be a liar because he says he's God, but he's not really God, knowing that he's not really God, so that would make him a liar. So that's option number one. Option number two is that he thinks he's God, but he's not really God, so he'd be a lunatic. So he can't be a good prophet if he's one of those two things. But the only last option is is that he's who he says he is. He's Lord. So Jesus is a liar, lunatic, or Lord. So he's not just a good prophet. He is Lord, and he's Lord over all of us in this room. So that's not who Jesus is. So who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? You can write this in your notes, like who is Jesus? Uh, Jesus is the center of Christianity. Jesus is the center of everything that we do. If there's no resurrected Jesus, everything that we do tonight is for not. If there's no resurrected Jesus, I'm out. But Jesus is the center of Christianity. Like Mecca is kind of the center for Islam. Jesus is the center of Christianity. Jesus uh, was fully man. Uh, He was born. He grew in wisdom. He had fun. Uh, He worked. Uh, He looked normal. Isaiah, this writer in the Old Testament, Isaiah says that there's no beauty to attract us to him. There's no beauty to attract us to him. 
So Jesus is also fully God. He pre-existed life. He pre-existed before anything was ever created. Jesus was there. Jesus was fully God, and he was fully man. I want to uh, go to your, in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. I want to walk through this real quickly. I have to set up who Jesus is so you'll understand the rest of tonight. Is that fair? You with me? I need you to put your thinking brain on tonight. Okay, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted and seated on a throne. Okay, so Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, Uzziah was this prominent, just ginormous, well-known, powerful king. Okay, and uh, Isaiah says, this guy died. Okay, so this king that we thought was powerful ain't nothing compared to this person I'm about to talk to, about talk about. So I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet, and with two, they were, uh, and with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Say full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold, <laughs> the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Isaiah says, woe to me. I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So Isaiah sees this huge God King. It says that the angels are singing 24-7, holy, holy, holy. So right now, as I'm speaking, angels are in heaven in front of this God King. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's happening 24-7. But who did Isaiah see? Jump over, if you have your Bible, John chapter 12, verse 41. John 12, 41. John was written by the apostle John, who was really close to Jesus, and it says, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus, he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. So let me let me tell you what happened. Isaiah saw Jesus 700 years before Jesus' earthly ministry. Jesus pre-existed his life on earth. You have to understand, I'm trying to paint this picture of Jesus as not just this man, but he was fully God and fully man. He's fully God and fully man. He was, he, he was this big, giant God king. He still is that. So why does this matter? Maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, why does this matter? I get it. He was fully God and fully man. I don't really get it, but I get it. You know, we say we get it, but we don't. Like, if, why does this matter? You have to, okay. If Jesus really is who he says he is, if he really is who he says he is, how does this affect you and me? I want you to write this down. If he is who he really says he is, then we are really who he says we are. Nobody got that. If, if Jesus is who he says he is, God, the one that the angels sing 24-7, holy, holy, holy. If he is that, then you are who he says you are. You are not who you say you are. You are not the identity that you continue to throw at yourself and believe about yourself. So what does Jesus say about who you are? 
Maybe we need to look at that. The first thing is that, number one, you were created in the image of God. Do not fall asleep on me. Do not act like you already know this. Do not act like you already know this. Number one, you were created in the image of God, meaning that you are made in his likeness. You are made in his likeness. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. You are not made in the image of a bird. You are not made in the image of a dog. You are made in the image of the all-powerful God. That's who you are. You are an image bearer of Jesus. Number two, Psalms, uh, or not number two, second verse, Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verse 13 through 14. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. Did you know that you were created, you were knit together by God in your mother's womb? So right now, as my wife is not birthing, but she's growing, (laughs) because we might have to leave if she started to birth, you know what I'm saying? Like, actually, I would probably, no, I would go. I would go with you. I promise I'll go with you. But even... But even now, as she is sitting there and she's growing a human being inside her body, I don't understand it. Our God is knitting together my child. He is knitting together him or her in her womb. Our child is going to be fearfully and wonderfully made. That's who that child is, and that's who you are. That's who you are. I know the lies you believe about yourself. Is that same about me? Dumb, ugly, stupid. I know the lies that you think about your identity. You're not hiding any. You're not hiding anything. I know you question God all the time. Satan throws these thoughts, but you are made in the image of an all-powerful God, and He knit you together in your mother's womb. As you were growing, he was knitting you together. That's who you are. That's who you are. Matthew 10 says that the number of your hairs are numbered. Like he knows all the the hairs on your head. He knows the number of all those. That's who you are. So God created us in his image. And then Adam and Eve sinned. They're in the garden and they sin and their sin separated us from God. So point number two we have to understand is that we are born sinners needing a Savior. We are sinners born needing a Savior. We're not not mistake makers. We are sinners. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 1 John 1, uh, 8-10 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word is not in us. You see, a lot of times we lessen this, we lessen or we cheapen this word of sin. Like sin is something outside of us, but sin is inside of us. 
You know, like none of us are created good. We're all created, or not created, none of us are born good. We're created, or we're born sinners. No one is good just on their own. So we have to understand that we are sinners. But we're sinners who are bought, number three, bought into the family of God. If you have come to know Christ, if you follow Jesus, you are in the family of God. You are God's child. If you follow Jesus, you are God's child. John 1, 12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's who you are. That's who you are. If you know him, you're a child, son, or daughter of the king of God. But why don't we believe that? Why do we feel worthless? Why do we feel like we have no value? Was it someone, was it something your parents said? You're so dumb. You're such an idiot. Never going to make it. Why are so many of us in this room carrying this identity of being less than? I feel like we have no value. I want you to write this down. The value of something is given by what someone is willing to pay for it. The value of something is determined by what someone is willing to pay for it. The value of something is given by what someone is willing to pay for it. Adam and Eve sinned. I said that we're all, you know, in need of a savior. And God says, Jesus, um, you're going to have to die for them. I want them in my family, and you're going to have to go and you're going to have to die for them. So what's the price? What's the price to, to have them be with me? Your son. And Jesus says, I'll go. I'll go. Because I love them so much, I will, I will give my life for them. The son of an eternal God says, I will give my life for every single person in this room. And you think you're worthless? You think nobody loves you? You think you don't matter? You have incredible value. You have value that you, have, you cannot even comprehend. The fact that he would shed even a drop of his precious blood for you and for me means that you have incredible value. You have incredible value. You have so much more value than you could possibly ever know because he was willing to give up his life for you and for me. Believe that tonight. Believe that he gave his life for you and that you have incredible value. Incredible, incredible value. Jesus uh, shares this story in Luke and many of you probably know the story, but there was a, 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 a father who had two sons. And the younger son was like, I'm not going to wait for you to die, Dad. I want my inheritance now. I'd rather have you be dead so I can have my inheritance. So, you know, I'm just, just give me my inheritance now. And so this son goes and spends all of his money. You know, he's partying, drinking, prostitutes, all this stuff. He's doing all these things, you know, and he runs out of money. And so this is Jesus sharing the story. And... 
the son, the younger son, was sitting there, and he's working for some guy, and he saw what the pigs were eating, and he's like, man, I would want to eat that, so I'm in a really bad spot right now. He said, even the servants at my dad's place are better than this, live better than this, so I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to say, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. Just take me back as a servant. I'm not worthy to be called your son, but just take me back as your servant. And so he gets up, and he's going home, and it says while he was still a long way off, while he was still a long ways off, the father saw him. And it says they had compassion on him, and I shared a couple weeks ago that that word compassion uh, is actually means more like he had butterflies in his stomach. So like when he saw his son, he got that like nervous excitement, nervous excitement that he saw his son, and he, it says that the, the father ran towards the son. And the son fell in front of his dad, and he's like, Dad, I am so sorry. I have sinned against you and against heaven. I'm not worthy. I am not worthy to be called your son anymore. You see, his identity, he saw his identity in all the things that he did. I know nobody in this room would ever feel like that, but this guy was like, man, I'm going to screw up. That's who I am, Dad. I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore, so just take me back as a servant. And what's really interesting is when you look at this story, the father didn't go, yeah, you are a screw-up. Yeah, you took all my money and you wasted it. He didn't say any of that. The father kneeled down. And he picked his son up. He threw a robe around him. And he called for a huge celebration. Because the son that was lost is now home. And what's so amazing, Jesus says that, that these stories, these parables that he would share, is a picture of our relationship with God. So, see, there's a lot of you right now who are living like the youngest son or who have lived like the youngest son who said, screw you, I'm out, I'm going to go do my thing. But a lot of you aren't living in that place anymore, yet you still hold on to that as your identity. I know I do that. I know the things I've done in college, the things I did after college. I still wear them as my identity all the time. Can you imagine what it must have been like for this younger son, like at home with his father? Like his, fa like his father never brought up what he did. He came asking for forgiveness, and his dad was like, I'm so happy you're home. I'm so happy you're here. But can you imagine how much the younger son must have struggled with, with feeling like a screw-up? Does anybody, you don't have to raise your hand, but do you ever feel like a screw-up? Do you ever feel like you've messed up your whole life? Do you ever feel like you are those things that you used to do? Do you ever feel like you're those things that you still do? Can I just tell you that you are not the things that you have done before? And even better, you're not the things that you still struggle with. You are not defined by your mess-ups. If anything, the cross tells us that Jesus knew that you and I were going to be messy. He didn't go to the cross and say, I'm only going to go to the cross for people who are going to be perfect. Jesus knew that you and I were going to be mess-ups. He knew that we were going to make mistakes. He knew that there's going to be addictions and things that were going to be, it's going to be really hard to get over. But he died for you anyways. 
died for you anyways. You are not the, your past mistakes. You're not your current mistakes. You're his beloved. You are bought with a price. You are bought with a price, man. You know what's so interesting? It's so amazing. Isaiah 43, 25. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I... He says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. That's okay. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. God says, I blot out your sins and I remember them no more. So neither should you. You may have ran away. You may have screwed up. You may have screwed up tonight before you got in this building. And he says, I remember your sins no more. So why do you? Why do you continue to live in, in this identity that I, I, I am who these, these other things? You're not your accomplishments either. Mr. Four-star football player, like, that's not your identity either. Your identity is created in the image of God. Your identity is bought with a price and God's beloved. That's it. Like these other things you can do or you have done, but that's not who you are. What you do is not who you are. The choices that you make are not who you are. Now, the choices that you make can determine a lot of things, can have consequences. They can determine where you end up, like in eternity. But even where you end up in eternity is not who you are. Even where you end up in eternity is not who you are. Because you are God's beloved. You are bought with a price. So y'all got a mirror and a marker. I want you to pull this out. Everybody do it. I will wait until every single person has a mirror and a marker in their hand. I can see you from up in the stage. You are not hidden from me. Uh, yeah, I'll wait for y'all. Can I ban people come up? Okay, y'all have a y'all have a raise this up, Amir. Everybody, is everybody have one? Anybody need one? You need one right there. I'll wait. I'll wait for you. Is need some over here? How many you need? Raise your hand if you don't have one. They're coming. They're coming. This is really important. I want you to do this with me. So, has everybody got one? We good? Do you need one? Why don't you raise your hand? Well, here, come take this. Okay, I'll do it. Hey, Kessler needs one. Thank you, Corinne. Can we give her a round of applause? Corinne, Sarah, they're amazing. So, you might not know this. You might not know this, uh, but I was a young, not a young adult guy. I was a youth pastor in, where was I? Was it Wisconsin, but in Michigan. So I was an intern. I interned when I was in college. I was a junior in college. And I was like really in this like experiential phase of Christianity. And uh, I remember, so I led this high school and middle school ministry I would preach like Sunday nights 
and I would lead a high school Bible study on Wednesday nights. And uh, I did this one series for high school Bible study on uh, experiencing Jesus, experiential stuff. I don't know. And uh, so it was like a room like this, and I would have stations, you know, like here and all over the room. And I don't know. I was just different. I was weird. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, one of the stations one night, I had a big mirror. And I don't know where this came from. I, I don't know. I don't know where it came from. But I had one of the stations was people had to stare at themselves in the mirror for five minutes. We had five-minute stations. And then people were like, this is so stupid. And some of you were thinking, this is so stupid. I don't need this. I'm macho, whatever. It's like, okay, well, I'll watch you cry in about two minutes. And uh, <laughs> this guy's pretty macho, and he cries a lot, so every day. And uh, so I remember, like, okay, I explained, like, this corner you're going to pray through this, this, this psalm, and this corner you're going to, you know, look at yourself in the mirror. They're like, okay. And so... I remember, like, watching all this, you know, and there's probably, like, 45, 50 high school students in this room, and uh, I remember watching that station, and it was, like, the same thing every time. They would, like, it was, like, a group, like, four or five people that would sit there, and, and like, so you'd, like, sit there and stare at yourself in a mirror, and first minute, people would be, like, <laughs> and they just keep staring, and then, you know, you could feel, you could sense the awkwardness, you know, and they're kind of, like, Minute two, squirming bad. Minute three, rally hits. Four, five, and people are crying. I'm like, what is happening? Why are, what is going on? I just was just making something up. Like, look at yourself. I don't know. But God revealed to me, what God revealed to me in that moment was that people were confronted with who they really are. You see, in this stupid era of social media, nobody puts on social media, I had a really crappy day. Like, well, they do, but you know what I mean? Like, nobody's putting up their true self. You know, people, everything we do on social media is posting stuff that we wish, who we wish we were. And a lot of us wish we were always someone else. You know, it's like, like when we look at Instagram, it's like, man, I wish I had all these hunting spots. I wish I looked like this and all, you know, like, I'm just being for real, you know, and we never really confront ourselves. Like, how many of you in this room, don't raise your hand, like, when you walk by a mirror, avoid the mirror. Like, I know girls, you'll walk by and kind of be like, okay, am I good? Okay, keep going. You know what I mean? Like, I know, I see my wife do that all the time. But like, how many of you stop and are like, I know every, <laughs> man, this past week sucked. And I just, out loud, out loud, I was talking to myself, like, you are such an idiot. You are such a screw-up. How, how could you possibly still do this? How could you possibly still struggle with this? How can you work at a, at a church, man? And I remember, I remember, uh, I went to the bathroom real quick, and like I'm saying this stuff out loud, and I looked at myself in the mirror, and I just kept looking and looking and looking, and I just broke down. Because a lot of times, man, I wish I had one of those things. Like, a lot of times, I look in this mirror, and I see, you know, I see stupid, you know, overweight, dumb, terrible husband, unworthy, 
lost, broken, scared, fake. Can't fit all these. Hypocrite. So that's what I have written on my mirror. When I look in the mirror, that's what I see. That's what I see when I look in the mirror. So what I want us to do, and this is going to be really uncomfortable for you, but I want you to take the next two, three minutes. It's going to be quiet in this room. They're just going to have the, that in the background. Nobody's going to play. But I just want you to look at yourself in a mirror. And I want you to write down the things that you've been finding your identity in. Whether good, bad, whatever. I want you to write those things down. I want you to stare at yourself for three minutes. Be bare before God. Naked before God in this moment. Saying, this is who I feel like I am. I want you to do that right now. Right now. Look at yourself in the mirror. This is between you and God. This isn't between you and anybody else. between you and the God. Don't start writing yet. Don't start writing on the mirror. Just only look at yourself. Look at yourself for three minutes. I want you to write down those things that you're finding your identity in, who you keep saying about yourself. This is who I am. I want you to write those on the mirror.
in this book called Abba's Child by Brendan Manning. Our new lead pastor recommended it. And I was like, I don't want to read anymore. But I bought this book, Abba's Child, Brendan Manning. And uh, I'm two chapters in, and it's wrecking me. I can't, like, read more than a page a day because it just kills me. But in the book, I'm just going to read a few things. He says, God's sorrow lies in our refusal to approach him when we have sinned and failed. A slip for an alcoholic is a terrifying experience. The obsession of the mind and body with booze returns with the wild fury of a sudden storm in springtime. When the person sobers up, he or she is devastated. When I relapsed, I had two options. Yield once again to guilt, fear, and depression. Or rush into the arms of my Heavenly Father and choose to live as a victim of my disease or choose to trust in Abba's immutable love. It is one thing to feel loved by God when our life is together and all our support systems are in place. Then self-acceptance is relatively easy. We may even claim that we are coming to like ourselves when we are strong, on top, in control. But what happens when life falls through the cracks? What happens when we sin and fail? When our dreams shatter? When our investments crash? When we are regarded with suspicion? What happens when we come face to face with our human condition? Then he goes on and he quotes this guy named Thomas Merton. And Merton says, Surrender your poverty and acknowledge your nothingness to, uh, to the Lord. Acknowledge that to the Lord. Whether you understand it or not, God loves you, is present in you. He lives in you and dwells in you, calls you, saves you, and offers you an, under, an understanding and compassion, which are like nothing you have ever found in a book or heard in a sermon. So many times I feel like when I'm doing good, sin-wise, my value to God is up here. When I'm not doing good, it's down here. So it's this teeter-totter always thing. And I just wonder if you're like that too. I think the hardest thing for us to believe is the gospel. Is that there really is a God that loves us despite our sins and failures. Despite everything that we've ever done. You cannot perform good enough for him to love you more. And you cannot perform less for him to love you more, love you less. He loves you the same no matter what. What are just a couple things that you guys wrote down on your mirror? Just shout it out. Don't be scared. Just shout it out. Go ahead. Yeah. What else? What else? are you finding your identity in? Who are you saying? When you look in the mirror, who are you saying that is? Give me a couple more. Disappointment, what else? Yeah. 
What'd you write down? Uh, a liar, a fake, unintelligent, a failure, disappointment, a forgotten, irredeemable, weak, small, and shameful. You have that marker? So what God does, God takes this mirror of yours, and he goes, no, 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 no. I'm going to scribble this out. That's who you think you are, but you are my beloved. You are bought with a price. You are mine. You are called. You are worthy. That's what God does. He, he, he takes that mirror of yours, and he says, this is, no, this is who you are. And then, and then we take it back. We take it back, and we go, no, that's not who I am, God. This isn't who I am. I'm all those other things. I'm all those other things. So he starts to write those down. You look in the mirror. You go to, you go to the net on a Sunday night, and you're like, okay, I feel, I feel worthy. I, I've been bought with a price. And then Satan, Satan starts getting at you, and he's like, no, you're not that. You're not that. Write down that you're unworthy. Write down that you're, that you're a sinner. Write, write down that, that you're a liar and you're a fake. And so you start to write those things down. And God goes, nope. <laughs> Again, you are loved. You are called. You are bought with a price. You're mine. You're my beloved. It doesn't matter how many times he picks up his mirror and erases what God says and writes down what he thinks. God's going to continue to pick up that mirror every single day and say, you are mine. You are bought with a price and you are my beloved. I love you. Stop believing what the world says about you. Stop believing what you say about you because you are mine. The value of something is determined by what someone is willing to pay for it. And he gave everything for you because he wants to spend eternity with you. He wants to be with you because he loves you. So you start loving you. Start believing that every single day. So what you wrote down, I want you to erase it right now. Erase it right now. You know, a lot of times in, in, in the Bible, in Scripture, like when God did a momentous thing, the, the, the Israelites would, would set up an altar. or They would set some sort of remembrance as a symbol of, of what God did in that moment. And I want this to be a symbolic, a symbolic moment of you saying, I'm going to start choosing to believe who he says I am. Number one, I want you to write down, I am his beloved. I am his beloved. I am his beloved. I'm bought with a price. I'm bought with the highest price. I'm a, I'm a son or I'm a daughter of God. I'm a son or I'm a daughter of God. And write down whatever one other thing you want to write down. 
See, the enemy wants to get you to believe that you're all those things that you wrote down. Even if you've done all those things you wrote down, you are not those things that you wrote down. So I want you every single freaking day, I want you to have this mirror wherever you look at yourself in the mirror. And I want you to be reminded of who you are. You see, so many times in life with the busyness of life, with, with social media, we get so busy, we don't ever stop and think, you know, why am I acting this way? Why am I doing these things? And it's because we're finding our identity in, in, in everything that we're not supposed to find our identity in. And I want you to do this every single day of the week. Because finding your identity in Christ and being his beloved is not enough just on Sunday, folks. It's not enough. It's not going to be enough. There's an, <laughs> there's an army in this room that has been held captive because of who you think you are. Because of you feeling unworthy, because of you feeling not good enough, you've held back. There are people who are so gifted in ministry that haven't pushed forward towards it because of stuff you've done in the past. Who cares? It's over. It's over. God says, I remember those sins no more. And neither should you. Believe it. Believe it. Trust in it. You're going to have to tell yourself that every freaking day that I am God's beloved. I am a child. John 1, 12. He gave you the right to be called a child of God. And that is who you are. Not your failures. You are not the sum of your failures. You're not the sum of your successes. You are his. You are his. I want to stand. I want to stand. I want you to keep these mirrors. Keep them. Put them wherever you need them to remind yourself every single day, this is who I am. You can stand, we can sit, whatever, but they're going to sing a song. They might sing two, I don't know. They're going to sing one song for right now. You're going to sing a song, and I want you just to, Talk to God about what's going on. How did I get down here? Uh, sorry. Uh, I just want you to talk to God about these are the things I'm struggling with. These are the things, God. Help me to believe that I am no longer these things, that I'm no longer bound and trapped by who the world says I am, who I say I am. God, help me to only believe who you say I am. You guys are amazing. You guys are so amazing. You know how much it breaks his heart hearing you guys say those things that you believe about yourself? He's saying, if I, if Adam, if they could only see themselves the way I see them. He loves you so much. Let's sing and then we'll wrap up.